Well, good morning. I'm Camper Monday, associate pastor here, a bit shorter than Brandon, so let me lower this. Uh, welcome. I'd like to extend my welcome as well, especially those of you who may be visiting. We're glad to have you here. And if you're visiting with us, well, you're at the beginning of a, a new sermon series, so why don't you stick around for at least the next three months uh, and see how you like it. And for the rest of you, you are required already because you've been here for a more time. Uh, but we're beginning, we're stepping into the book of Philippians, as Matt uh, referred to earlier, and that's where we're going to be uh, right up until Christmas. And so I'm excited about that. And you know, or maybe you don't know, but Philippians, like much of the New Testament, in fact, most of the New Testament, it's a letter. Uh, the book of Philippians is the letter of Paul to the church at Philippi. And so we're going to begin this new sermon series in much the same way that we began our last sermon series in a New Testament letter. And that is when we were in James, if you remember all the way back to January, when we were in James, uh, we heard the letter read in its entirety. Uh, we're used to hearing small pieces read and then exposited, but today... Uh, we're going to hear the entirety of Philippians. Someone came up to me and said, couldn't you have chosen Philemon? It's a bit shorter. But it does only take about 14 minutes, minutes to read aloud, uh, so you can do that at home as well. So we will be getting to a study part by part, piece by piece over the coming weeks, but today we're going to hear the whole thing. And, you know, really that's what we should do, because first century letters, uh, like those in the New Testament... They would be brought to a group of people, to a congregation, and they would be read aloud to the community as a whole in their entirety. And then, of course, that congregation would come back and uh, begin to wrestle with certain parts of it over time. And, of course, that's also what we should do because most of us, typically, uh, here in the 21st century, when we get a personal letter, we read the whole thing. Uh, now, if it's a fundraising letter, you might not. You just skip to the PS where it reminds you uh, to give. But uh, personal letters, hopefully we're reading uh, the entire letter. Now, I want to think for a moment about a letter that you recently received. If you've been a part of the congregation for a while, you got, you got a congregational letter. Uh, it's our larger version of a personal letter. Uh, but Brandon sent you a congregational letter just a few weeks ago telling you about what was coming up in the fall. Among other things, you heard that we were moving back to two services. Some are coming to an end. Now we're in fall, two services. Uh, told you about the new times of those services. And I got to thinking about it, and it occurred to me that we got that letter about one week before we went back to two services. Now, what if you had opened that letter and started reading, and after the first paragraph, you said, Wow, Brandon is quite a writer. So friendly and warm, just inviting, which he is. And you said, I, I'm not going to read the rest of the letter right now. I'm just going to sit with this first paragraph all week. Well, if you had done that, you would have missed much of what was going to be coming up in the fall. And you probably would have missed church the next Sunday. Okay, bad joke. Note to self, don't try that again. Okay, back to, back, back to seriousness. One of the things personal letters do, and I've, I've got an older friend who has collected uh, personal letters throughout the centuries uh, from various people throughout the life of the church, and one of the things that he loves about these old letters is that letters invite us into people's stories. Not only the story of the letter writer, uh, but the stories of those to whom the letters were written. And when you think about letters, especially Biblical letters, they invite us 
into the great story that our God is writing. And so what I'm going to do this morning to give us some background before I read the letter of Philippians is I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to give you the background rather than in lecture form. I want to give you the background of this letter by way of storytelling. Now, I am indebted to two great biblical scholars and theologians, so I want to go ahead, go ahead and acknowledge with thanks uh, the works of Sinclair Ferguson and Gordon Fee, and also the work of Dr. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, uh, and also the book of Acts. Because most of what you're going to hear in the next few minutes, the background story can be found in the book of Acts, especially uh, chapter 16. And so this morning will be a, di- a bit different than most, just as it was uh, different that first Sunday when we were in James. And after the first service, I realized I was a little worked up, and it occurred to me that because it was so different, I was really nervous in that first service, because it's not only different for you as a congregation hearing this, but it's different for me as a preacher as well. But nonetheless, the hope is that the difference today will better prepare us to hear the whole of God's word and the truths that God gives to us through Paul's letter to the Philippians as we then step into it part by part, uh, week after week. And so what I'm going to do, uh, it's pretty simple, three parts. I am going to tell you the story of Paul and the Philippian church, how that all started and his relationship with them. Then just briefly, I will highlight a few themes for you to listen for in the letter. And then finally, just like Epaphroditus, who you'll hear about, just like he did when he first delivered Paul's letter to the Philippians, he stood before that congregation and he read it aloud to the church so that they could hear uh, from their brother and church father. But before we step into this story and into God's word, let's take a moment to pray. Our great God, we thank you that you are the great storyteller. That you are the one who has spoken each of us into existence and is not only writing our stories, but writing us into a larger, more beautiful story than we could ever imagine. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for that he is is the very center of this story. And we pray this morning that you would open your word to us and us to your word that we might hear. And in the coming weeks that we would continue to hear and that we would be transformed by the words that you have given us through the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one afternoon, about 20 years after the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth, A small group of travelers made their way in a northwesterly direction from the port of Neapolis, where they had recently landed from Troas. They journeyed, presumably on foot, for a further 10 miles up along the great Roman road known as the Via Ignatia, until they came to the city of Philippi. Many people probably passed this little group of travelers without giving any of them a second look, not realizing that these were the men who were gaining the reputation of turning the world upside down. This band of brothers included Silas, the young Timothy, and apparently Luke, the medical doctor. And of course, their leader was the Apostle Paul. 
In this modest fashion, Paul's mission team, with its message of Jesus Christ as crucified and risen Savior and Lord, moved for the first time in what we know today as European soil. These men were certain that God had called them there. He had given them a very clear direction. You see, they had needed special guidance from God because preaching the gospel at Philippi was not part of their original plan. It appears that they had planned to go into the province of Asia, but they were kept from doing so. Instead, God's Spirit led them to Troas. During that first night in Troas, Paul had a vision. In it, he saw a man from Macedonia on the other side of the Aegean Sea. The man stood there begging, come over to Macedonia and help us. Come over to Macedonia and help us. And so he awoke the next morning and uh, spoke to his missions team. And the group decided that God had been closing doors for them. And now he was opening an unexpected one. And so they obeyed this heavenly vision. A wind-assisted crossing brought them quickly to the island of Samothrace and then on to the port of Neapolis. From there, they headed to the major city in that area, Philippi. Now, Philippi was founded in the middle of the 4th century before Christ, uh, named after Philip II of Macedonia, the father of the famous Alexander the Great. It was conquered by the Romans in the mid-2nd century before Christ, and in 42 B.C., it had become, as Luke tells us in Acts 16, it had become a Roman colony. So it was ruled by Roman law and reflected Roman lifestyle, politically, socially, even architecturally. Here then, Paul came with his companion. All men with one aim, one purpose. To preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone and everyone who would hear, no matter what the consequences. Now, their first visit was relatively brief, but let me tell you, it was action-packed. By the first Sabbath, after they had settled into the city, they discovered that there was no synagogue in Philippi. Now, if you are familiar with the ways of Paul, you know that Paul's practice in spreading the gospel in a new city was always to go first to the synagogue. But there was none. And so this band of brothers wandered down to the riverside. And there they found a small group of women. These were the people that the Lord had prepared for their word. When Paul spoke, one particular heart was opened and then others joined hers. The first convert, Lydia, a businesswoman with servants and a substantial home. She graciously invited the apostolic missionaries to share her home and to receive her first hospi- her, her hospitality. And while these first Christians continued to pray by the riverside, it was probably in this house, the home of Lydia, that the first Christian church began to meet. The first, that is, the first church in Philippi. Now, two other women who were perhaps converted at that time were named Euodia and Syntyche. They would later exercise significant ministries in the church and alongside the Apostle Paul. Now, apart from Epaphroditus, whom I've already mentioned, uh, the one who brought Paul's letter to the Philippians, the only man whose name we know is Clement. So this must have seemed to be one of the quietest beginnings to the life of a church that Paul had ever experienced. But that was simply the calm before the storm. You see, shortly afterwards, 
Paul found it necessary to risk the security of his missionary team and even the future of their work in Philippi. He destroyed the trade of an unscrupulous group of men who unmercifully used a demon-possessed girl for financial gain as a fortune teller. She had followed the apostolic band through the street, shouting at them, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. Now, the situation must have placed enormous strain on Paul. For a while, he tolerated it, perhaps realizing that to do anything might jeopardize their entire mission. But when this continued for many days, he knew it had to be stopped. He exercised the demon in the name of Jesus. The girl was delivered and both her taunting and her fortune telling ceased. Now you can imagine the slave girl's owners. They were incensed because of their loss of income. And so they dragged Paul and Silas before the local authorities who then had them stripped and beaten and thrown into jail. But it was here. In this Philippian jail, as many of you know, that one of the most famous conversions in the history of the church took place. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing praises. Suddenly, the ground shook underneath them. The building began to rock. The prisoners' chains fell off. The prison doors flew open. They were free. But for the poor jailer, life suddenly caved in for him. His prisoners would escape and he would be held responsible. So he took his sword and was about to take his own life. But Paul shouted for him to stop and assured him that all the prisoners were still there. Lights were called for and the jailer rushed into the presence of Paul and Silas. And on his lips, the lips of the jailer, was this central question. What must I do to be saved? Now, did he understand the significance of that question? We don't know. Regardless, Paul and Silas seized the opportunity. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Yes, you and your household. And so he was. And then along with his family, he was baptized. And so the church in Philippi added to its number. Now, Paul and his missionary team eventually left Philippi after humbling the city fathers who had unjustly treated them. But you can read that part of the story at the end of Acts 16. And though he had left the city, Paul did not forget the Philippians, nor did they forget him. You see, they had become partners in ministry. And the Philippians began to support Paul on his church planting endeavors. Later, Paul returned to Macedonia, encouraging the young churches and continuing his travels into Greece. The return journey, contrary to his original plan, took him back the way that he had come once more through Philippi. His love for the Philippians continued as their their appreciation of him grew in return. A special bond was formed, not only between Paul and the Philippians, but probably between Paul and Timothy as well. Well, during this journey in which Paul had revisited the Philippians, often called his third missionary journey, he ended up in Jerusalem, where eventually he was arrested for speaking of Jesus. In the process of his court hearings, 
he was transferred to confinement in Caesarea. Two years or so later, he exercised his right to appeal to Caesar. And around the year A.D. 60, he was sent to Rome, where, under house arrest, he now waited his verdict, possibly to be sentenced to death. Some time had passed since the Philippians had been able to help Paul. But now, alarmed by the seriousness of his situation, they sent a generous gift to him by the hand of one of their own church members, Epaphroditus. Now, in the process of fulfilling his mandate, Epaphroditus became seriously ill and almost died. But now that he was well enough to travel, Paul was sending him back to this 10-year-old church with a message. One final note. The Philippians may have had a further reason for their contact with Paul. They possibly hoped that the presence of Epaphroditus would enable Paul to release Timothy to come and help them with some church problems that had arisen in their fellowship. They had shared shared these struggles with the apostle and perhaps had even requested Timothy's help, realizing that their situation required the kind of ministry that Timothy could offer. But at a somewhat uncertain and obviously crucial stage in his life, Paul could not be without Timothy. In the meantime, Epaphroditus would return alone, bearing whatever personal counsel and encouragement Paul could give in the brief scope of a personal letter. That letter is the one that we know today as Philippians. Well, that's the background to the story. Again, most of that can be found in Acts 16. And before we hear this letter that Epaphroditus delivered to this church on behalf of the prisoner, Paul, there are a few themes that I want you to listen for uh, as you hear this letter read. First off, listen for partnership in the gospel. Also, see if you can hear the places of unity. Unity that comes through humility, sacrifice, and love. And also, Jesus. Jesus as the only source of real life and true joy. And then finally, see if you can catch the theme of the coming great day. The coming great day when Jesus returns and makes all things right. Because as Paul is composing his letter, he always has that great day in mind. Now, additionally, I encourage you to pay attention to the tone with which Paul writes the letter. It's very warm, full of encouragement, affection. It's also full of joy. And remember, this is a man who is being held in a Roman prison, possibly about to face death. And he writes with such joy. Now, again, I will be reading this, and I encourage you to listen uh, rather than you reading it. I assure you there will be plenty of time for you to read it over the coming weeks. Uh, So for now, I invite you to, to sit back, to listen, to hear Paul's letter. And because this is something we're not used to, uh, we're, you know, we're used to diving right in piece by piece. We're not used to hearing the, uh, the big, bigger picture read to us. It will be easy for us to start to try to get every detail. And so I want to encourage you, listen for the big picture. Don't get, caught, uh, don't, uh, don't get lost in all of the details. We've got three months for that. However, if something grabs your attention, 
chew on it for a moment, then let it go and enter right back into the letter. Now, this may be a challenge for you, but I know that you are up for it. So this is Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers, for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best. And may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know brothers that what has happened to me here. Has really served to advance the gospel. As a result it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else, that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. And the latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. Supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether by false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you. Or only hear about you in my absence. I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. Contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed. But that you will be saved. And that by God. 
For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. In order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me here. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon after. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad And I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ. Risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs. 
those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view on things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For, as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Will transform our lowly bodies. So that they will become like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, 
Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send their greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. This is the word of God. Well, how was it? Did you hear it? Did you hear the big picture? Saw some, some nods and some smiles. Very familiar verses. If we were to take out all the, the well-known verses with this, I would have still been up here at least 10 of those 14 minutes. But did you hear those themes? True partnership, deep partnership in the gospel. And unity. Unity that comes through humility and sacrifice and love. And then just the resounding Jesus as the only source of real life and true joy. And then I hope you also heard that Paul was always writing with the last day in mind. The coming great day when Jesus returns to make all things right. Martin Luther once said, I keep two days on my calendar. Today and the consummation. Today and the day that Jesus comes back, which informs the way that I live today. And that's what Paul writes to us. And that's what we'll be unpacking in the coming days. The title for our sermon series is Growing Up, Growing Close. You can see that in the front of your bulletin. Growing up in the gospel and in our relationship with God. And growing close is a community founded on God's grace and rooted in God's mission. And as we encounter the Philippians growing up and growing close, may God do that same work of grace in and through us here in Williamsburg. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word that you gave to Paul. That he spoke to 
his scribes and who wrote this down and sent it to the church at Philippi and now comes to our church, Grace Covenant, here in Williamsburg, Virginia. Thank you for for moving the gospel onto European soil and then moving Europeans over here, bringing the gospel with them that we would hear this day on Jamestown Road once again that you are a God who is for us, a God who is with us. And we commit these coming, coming weeks to you that you would change us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.